Hi, I'm R.A. Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. Been writing fantasy books for 25 years now and going strong, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. And for today's show, we're chatting with author Erin M. Evans. She's best known for writing novels set in the Forgotten Realms world, which is both enjoyed as novels and as a Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game setting. Her fourth novel is set in this fantasy world and is called The Adversary, and is one of six books in the Sundering series, which promises to make big changes in the world of Faerun. Erin tells us how she went from graduating with a degree in anthropology to writing for one of the most popular fantasy settings out there. We get hints of what to expect in her new book. Which, if you are listening on the day this episode premieres, is today, December 3rd. Erin also talks about the challenges of writing for a shared universe and much more. But before we get started with the interview, we do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend Tishan Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. We also want to give a shout-out to our friends at the science fiction web series Aiden 5. I had the pleasure of working on the second season, and we can finally share with you who one of the guest stars will be. If you watch Battlestar Galactica, either one, you probably know who he is. Uh, yes, Richard Hatch, who played Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica, and also played Tom Zarek in the sci-fi channel reimagining of Battlestar Galactica, will be joining the cast of Aiden 5. Yeah, that's very exciting. So when will the season two be premiering? I hear very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard uh, an official release date should be announced anytime now. I did get to see episode one at Gen Con. And I can say this, if you like season one, I think it is safe to say you'll love season two. It's got like more action, more visual effects, more plot twists, and more of you know Aiden and Riley, stars of the show. Cool. And you can actually check out season one right now over at Aiden5.com, and that's spelled... A-I-D-A-N, the number five, dot com. And now let's get started with our interview with author Aaron M. Evans. I have fought many battles and made many enemies in my crusade for justice. But now Faerun needs new legends. The Sundering is coming to change our world forever. During this time of turmoil, worlds will pull apart and the magic of the weave will be restored. As our world grows ever more dangerous, it will open itself to ancient evils. They will grow in strength while defenders of justice save the innocent from deadly catastrophes. All right, well, this is Marks, and today author Erin M. Evans joins me. We're going to talk about her book, The Adversary. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, well, can you tell us about your new book, The Adversary, uh, what it's about, and how does this third book fit into the, to the overall Sundering series? So the adversary takes my character Farida into the Sundering. Um, it's uh, I, it's hard it's hard to describe because I I, I don't want to spoil any of the, of the good you know plot twists and things. But um, suffice to say, Farida at the beginning makes a decision um, intending to protect the people she loves, and it has kind of disastrous consequences that lead her to be um, kind of caught in the middle of of the plans of the nine hells. Um, and Asmodeus and uh, Netheril, the, the sort of shadowy evil empire, and the goddess Shar, the goddess of loss, 
Um, so as far as the sundering is concerned, you get to see more of what the gods are trying to do to consolidate their power, to, to secure themselves during this time of upheaval, as well as what their worshippers on the ground, how, the, how they're basically how their worshippers are interpreting um, the gods will to keep that, that sort of thing steady. Mm-hmm. Do I understand correctly that the sundering sort of helps usher in uh, what the setting is going to be like in the fifth edition of the game? Yeah, the the sundering is is the, the end of the era of upheaval. So this is, they, you know, they call it the last big realm shaking event. The overgod Ao is rewriting the tablets of fate, which determine what the gods' responsibilities are and and how that plays out in the world. Um, at the same time, it's separating Abir and Toral, the places where where they've overlapped. It's sort of returning, um, which, you know, has interesting consequences down the line the this is sort of the explanation but the gods themselves don't even know what exactly the form that things will take mm-hmm. so this is watching everything sort of shake out but the end at the end of the sundering yeah there will be the sort of the, the reborn realms i guess <laughs> <laughs> now this isn't the first forgotten realms book you've done by far correctly you've done god catcher brimstone angels and Brimstone Angels, Lesser Evils. This is my fourth book. Is it the same lead character in all of these? Uh, the Godcatcher is a separate book um, with, with separate characters, but Brimstone Angels is the first book with Farida, and then Lesser Evils is the sequel to that. So this will this is the third book with the Brimstone Angels characters. Okay. I don't know if it spoils anything or not, but will <laughs> this lead character, is there going to be any future books with this lead character after The Sundering? Yeah, I actually, I just turned in the first draft of the next book, which will come out in fall 2014, mm-hmm. which hopefully soon I'll be able to, to give a title for, but they're still trying to agree on what it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm kind of curious, writing for Forgotten Realms, <clears throat> not only writing for in a shared universe that is both a novels and a role-playing game, how difficult is it, A, sharing that world with other writers and then also sharing it with the game? You know, I think it, it's it's kind of all part of, of the process. So you, you it's hard to, to separate the pieces out. It, it does involve a lot of research, a lot of, you know, kind of touching base with other people who are writing in the same thing. Um, I have to assume it's, it's about as tricky as writing, you know, historical fantasy, but the, you know, the other pieces are still moving. The nice thing is, especially with the other authors in the Sundering, you know, we've had the chance to sit down, have story summits, talk about what we're working on, and then, you know, kind of be aware of where the edge of, say, you know, Troy's story and and my story, where they might come together and how to kind of move past each other, how to reference each other as we do that. And I think it's really cool. I've always liked the aspect of, of writing it where, some people are just reading the book to read the book and enjoy it. And some people are reading it as an extension of their gaming experience. So putting in things that will appeal to someone playing a game, you know, a, a really cool fight scene that, that shows off how you can use the terrain in your game. That's also just a fun fight scene to read, having kind of a cool villain. My, in my last book, I have a, a, a book that's imbued with the sentience of a, an ancient Netherese arcanist. And I got lots of letters from fans saying, I am totally going to use this in my game. Um, <laughs> and, and I loved that, right? The, the idea that this, that this story that I'm telling is, is not just contained within the novel, that it, it's going out and, and kind of seeding other things for people. And, and I don't know, I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. So whenever, like with the Sundering, because there's six different writers involved, 
did you all have to meet up in like a room and talk it out? I mean, how, what kind of direction were you given? Yeah, we um, have had several story summits where the authors all get together. We sit in a conference room, they buy us lunch, uh, and <laughs> we talk about, you know, what we want to see for our novels and then what, what makes sense for the world. When you're writing these books, you do so much back best you know, research and, and studying the backstories and, and with the Forgotten Realms there is so much canon to, to go through um, that having the opportunity to pick the brains of people like Ed Greenwood right it's it's all in his head so um, yeah we you know you get we get together um, talk about the story the, the world and and how to produce something that that works for individual characters but is also going to, to work for the setting as a whole now, also talking about the gaming element, I'm curious whenever you're creating, well, I guess first off, do you play Dungeons & Dragons very much? So. I do. I haven't played very much recently. I had I have a two-year-old, mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, I'm actually, Friday, I'm starting a new game, and I'm so excited because I haven't really been able to take the time to do it until now. But yeah, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious balancing out the experience of the gaming side and then actually writing it out in prose, writing out a story. Do you like completely try to ignore, I mean, you have to, obviously have to, to keep track of continuity, you know, story elements, but do you try to ignore the game mechanical elements of like character classes, stuff like that? Or do you ever think of like, I guess my character, my, this lead character would be sort of kind of a level eight, you know, sorcerer or whatever, or do you try to keep that off to the side? It, you know, it sort of depends. Um, I try to honor the mechanics and honor the game, um, but I don't feel that it's necessarily the best thing for a novel in particular to um, sort of be enslaved to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, a good, this is a good example. Farida is an inf infernal pack warlock on the, based on the 4E rules. Um, she... I... I I think she was like level six before the sundering because I needed to know which spells she could have. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, uh, when I was drafting Brimstone Angels, I had a fight scene where I was making her use the Misty Step power. And it, it worked really well for the character who's someone who's sort of avoiding looking too closely at her life and, and who's a little bit afraid of engaging with the scary parts. So the idea that she's in this fight and she's just kind of bouncing around and avoiding being hit really fit. That power isn't available to an Infernal Pact Warlock in your game. I you know went to my editor and I said, this really makes sense. Can this be, be, be tied to you know the lair of the hells, the devil she has a pact with? Can, can we have a little bit of variation here? And since it's the, I mean, it feels like the kind of thing that your DM might house rule um, so I guess I can house rule my novels in a certain sense. Um, but I mean, that's always the trick you want this. This is about a game in a, in a sense, and you want that feeling to come through. But if it sticks too close, you get that dreaded, oh, I could hear the dice rolling as I was reading. And, and you want to avoid that because you aren't, you know, you're not novelizing someone's game experience. You're writing a, a story that, that sort of reminds them of that game experience. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to, to, to kind of be cognizant of where to where to kind of hew to what's the mechanic and what the game rules are and where it, it makes more sense to kind of be fluid or be vague or, you know, do something that, that wouldn't make sense for a character because it's more compelling in a novel. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners who may not be that familiar with uh, your previous books a little bit more about your lead character? 
Uh, Farida is a tiefling warlock. That means she is sort of descended from the union of, of humans and devils. Um, she's, uh, she grew up in a sort of a small mountain town that's, that's so far off the beaten path it's not on any maps. Um, she has a twin sister, Havilar, who uh, it's sort of at the beginning of her story, of, ha- of Frida's story, Havilar tries to summon an imp so that she can practice trapping and, and killing it eventually because she's, she's into that sort of stuff and instead summons this Cambion who is looking for a warlock. And he offers Frida the chance to kind of not just survive, but live to, to kind of be a hero and be a protector, albeit through these powers that are ostensibly evil. Um, so she becomes a warlock, but she uses those powers for just for good. You know, she's, she's someone who's very much driven to protect and to, um, keep bad things from happening to people, even when it's maybe not the most sensible thing to do. Um, in, in Brimstone Angels, she comes to realize that the city of Neverwinter is about to be host to a civil war of, of the hells and, and other epic powers. And it's going, it's going to go really bad, really fast. And instead of leaving, she stays and she, she figures out how to, to kind of lessen the damage. Now I was going to ask you who your favorite character is, but I imagine it probably is her, but besides uh, her, I've... Is there a, is another character you created that you that you enjoy quite a bit? It's so hard to pick favorites. Um, <laughs> I think when you spend such time with characters, it, it, you start to you kind of like them all for different reasons. Um, I would say that one of the other characters in um, Adversary who's very important is Dahl. Um, Dahl Peridor is a, a Harper agent who is a fallen paladin of Ogma. He's he became this this paladin of the God of Knowledge. Um, trying to combine this need to to be like the strong sword swinging kind of guy, but also his his passion for knowledge and books. Um, and then one day his powers just went away, and his his superiors basically said, "You're sworn to serve the god of knowledge. He gave you a brain. You figure it out." Um, and he hasn't been able to. So he's uh, he's a very conflicted character. He's he's you know he wants this thing that he can't get. And he, he can't get it because he can't really see. He, he's not looking in the right direction. Uh, he's a really interesting character, right? Because he has such strong emotions that that he kind of doesn't process in a in a completely whole way. But he's very good at what he does. It, it's I think it's nice that that when I write scenes with Dahl, there's times where he just seems like an absolute clod, like someone who's very self-absorbed and clueless. But then you know he gets to be a harper. Like he's he's like a secret agent in in some ways, and and he's you can see like he's really he's very good at what he does. He's just personally, he's a lot of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> now, looking in your background, I saw that you had an anthropology degree. I do. Uh, so how did you go from getting an anthropology degree to to writing for Forgotten Realms? Um, well, I finished college and realized that I was probably not well suited to academia. In some ways, this is this is my version of Dahl's story. I thought this is where I was going to go, and I came to the realization that who I am and and what I am comfortable with and what I love, that then maybe that's not the best sync up. Um, and so I took some time off to decide what I was going to do, and I realized that what I really wanted was to write, so I needed to do something to get a paycheck while I was writing. <laughs> um, and I was very fortunate when I moved up here to Seattle with my now husband. He, I, I got a, an internship with a small press and uh, doing that did fantasy and science fiction. Um, so I worked for them for a couple of years and then, but they obviously did not, did not have the money to pay me beyond a, a small token amount. Um, I learned a lot 
But one day I was like, okay, I have to find a, another job. And uh, Wizards had an opening actually for an editor. And I went in there and, and became the Eberron line editor and a Forgotten Realms secondary editor. And what I found really interesting was that that anthropology background did come into play at times, especially when I was working with authors who were playing with areas of the realms that were maybe a little less um, developed. My favorite memory of it, uh, I worked with uh, an author, Mark Sehestet, on uh, his book Sentinel Spire. Um, he has a character in there who's a half-orc who finds out that that sort of his comrade-at-arms, this, this human assassin, didn't really die. And he's telling him about how, you know, oh, I, I cut a mourning scar for you because Mark was saying, well, these, these orcs, that's, that's their exp expression of grief. You know, they have these scars that say, like, this is, these are the brothers I've lost. But he had the scarring done on his chest over his heart, which sounds really great. Except this is a very cold area. So these, these people are very bundled up. And I pointed out, if you're going to have ritual scarification, other people need to see it. The ritual scarification is not for you. It's for people to, to recognize something about you by. So this needs you need to put the scar on his face or his hands or something that's going to be exposed. Mm -hmm. And Mark also has an anthropology background. So he was delighted. He's like, oh, you're right. You're right. That's that's where it makes sense. And I, I, I remember in that moment going, I bet my advisor never thought that I could use the, my degree for this. <laughs> but it turns out, yeah, you, if you have a background in, in human cultures and and. and and what we do as a group, it helps a lot with world building and, and talking about fantasy stuff. It's it's kind of it's a really fun way to use it. I, I've used it in snippets for things like, you know, I, I've gotten to do a little bit of of creation with the Dragonborn culture, sort of just around the periphery. Um, so that and then there's elements in, in Lesser Evils. The one of the villains is a, a Netherese arcanist who um, has self mummified, which was something I'd found uh, in, in a particular sect of Buddhism. In Japan, in the I think in the 1800s, the, the monks would would go through this process of self mummification, um, which is really fascinating. And I was thinking, well, what if you were you weren't so holy and you had magic? So I, I got to make up this really cool kind of mummy creature, based based on on that little snippet from a textbook I had. <laughs> Okay, I gotta ask, how do you self-mummify? <laughs> so it's really interesting. It's a really long, it's kind of a long process. They they sort of, and this is the part I don't I don't actually remember the specifics of, but but the, the monk would kind of come to the realization that, the, that this particular date was the day he was going to die. And so he would start this, um, eating, eating this diet that would make his body sort of hostile to any kind of in, insects or, or bacteria. Um, it was kind of like he's eating poison. And, you know, do a, a really rigorous meditation kind of thing. And then uh, after, I think, a couple years of that, he would, they would, his apprentices would put him in a box and he would sit in the box and meditate. And every morning he'd ring a bell to say, nope, I'm still alive. And so the day the bell didn't ring, they would seal the box up. And, and there were different, different groups to different things. Sometimes the one that I thought was really fascinating is they would put desiccants in um that were sheets of prayer books which of course i went oh well what if it was a spell book instead and then uh they wait i think a year and a day and then they'd open it and if the body was intact and and not corrupted then that person was i, th I think at that point they're a buddha but they're they're considered holy and this is evidence of their holiness and if they didn't then it, they were still considered holy because they attempted this thing so there are i think 28 22 or 28 of these um mummies uh, existing um, and then, and then they, the, the sort of the, the, the group, that group of Buddhists said, you cannot do this. This is really creepy. Um, <laughs> so it's illegal now, um, within law and within the church or the, the religion's precepts, but it was, it's really kind of an interesting thing to think like, 
you know, it's, it's like, what is it that drives you to do that? Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and what is it in, in the case of the, the lesser evils character, it's extreme hubris, right? <laughs> because he's trying to make himself into, into a, a, a monster that can never be destroyed. It's a, it was, yeah, it was really kind of an interesting thing. And I don't know, that's, that's what I end up doing with it is I find things and I go, but what if you added, what if you added magic to that? <laughs> cool. Um, so in your writing and your writing style and what kind of books or games, movies, TV shows have influenced you? Um, I, that's also a hard question. I, I try to read and, and, and watch a really wide variety of things. I feel like I've taken elements of, of such a, such a range to kind of get where I am. I went through a time right after I graduated from college, my now husband and I bought an RV and we drove around the country for nine months. And one of the things I found was like, I can't, I, they wouldn't give me a library card anywhere we went, obviously, because I didn't have an address. Mm -hmm. So I ended up buying books from thrift stores. The thing at Goodwills and and most thrift stores is that they would say, okay, the paperbacks are 25 cents each or it's 10 for a dollar. So once you found five paperbacks, you need to find five more. So (laughs) I ended up reading a lot of things that I wouldn't have probably picked up. I, I read, you know, romance novels. I read my first Western. I read my first vampire novel. I read, you know, true crime and, and creative nonfiction and, you know, anything. It was like, you know, once you grab all the fantasy novels, you, you got to find something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that taught me a lot about writing, about, you know, di- the different things that different genres sort of bring to the table. And it's kind of the same with movies. I tend to watch movies at home because I, I have to get up and walk around. I'm really obnoxious to go to the movie theater with. So I'm behind everybody. But I don't know. I like I like a lot of things. I like I watch foreign movies. I watch comedies, action movies. There's that. I mean, I think there's that cinematic feeling that you get from from some like a big blockbuster that can, for if you're writing fantasy adventure, really help set a scene. So going back to your lead character, yes. um, what sparked your imagination to create that particular character? Uh, she she was actually based loosely on a character I was playing in a Forgotten Realms game. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, which is I always kind of cringe to say that because it's it is one of those things that either works really well or it can be really perilous um, depending on how how ruthless you can be with that character. I was playing a character who was also called Farida and was a, a tiefling warlock with a twin. And we, the other woman who was, who was playing the other tiefling and I, we had kind of a, a loose backstory that involved growing up with dragonborn because tieflings in the Forgotten Realms aren't, uh, they're, they're a race, but they're not localized. They're scattered. There's, there's not a culture that's associated with them. So they, they have the culture of wherever they grow up, basically. Um, and, and we kind of thought it would be interesting to pick the culture that was the least normal and say, okay, now what happens there? Because dragonborn are, are so unlike humans in so many ways and i thought that was cool they had a an opening for a tiefling book and i was kind of thinking about it and, and realizing that if i changed aspects of this it could it could and and kind of went off in a whole different direction it could be really interesting i ended up changing that again when when they decided to connect the book to the neverwinter mmo because then it was okay this is going to be a series i want to start with this character's beginnings um and not down the line so um, it really changed a lot. She's younger than my my PC was. She's she's an infernal pact, and I think my PC had a fey pact. She's a totally different character. My 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 character was much more snarky and and you know dry and 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 a little more like what's what's in it for me a little. And Farida is much more noble and heroic than 
uh, any character I've ever played. But that was the beginning of it was I, I was playing a character. <laughs> Before we wrap up, do you have any other projects in the works? I just turned in the first draft of my next Farida book, which will be coming out in 2014. And I, yeah, that's, I think that's all I've got. That's not, you know, so far back. I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and when is your book, The Adversary, going to be available to purchase? Adversary will be available to purchase on December 3rd. And if you would like a signed copy, I am doing an e-signing through my website, slushlush.com, S-L-U-S-H-L-U-S-H.com. Go there and uh, send me um, a little message and I'll send you a signed book. And where can people find you online? Or is that the same place? That same place. Um, I also my, I have a, an author page on Facebook that's pretty active. And a Twitter account that's slightly less active. <laughs> my Twitter <laughs> account is Erin is M. Evans. Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Special thanks to Aaron for chatting with us and Wizards of the Coast for scheduling the interview. We look forward to more books from Aaron and more adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. And now you can keep track of us at Genretainment.com and also at SciFiPulseRadio.com. And don't forget, you can also check out the other great shows on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio channel, like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next next time. time. Bad monkey.